0: Praise be to God. So last week of Mission Essentials series looking at Jesus's prayer for the 12 disciples and for you and I and it's pretty pretty compelling when you see the heart of Christ here and the lens is pulled back and so often we think of the work that Jesus did being the cross death burial resurrection he talks about doing it three times Tells his boys to show up for our fish tacos, relax. Everything will be fine. I know it's gonna get a little crazy. I'm gonna die. It's gonna be gruesome. You're gonna cry, freak out. Judas, it's all you know. Satan's gonna put in his heart some mess. It's gonna be. Don't worry though. We're gonna have tacos after. It'll be great. And like Jesus, just hey, we're gonna eat. It'll be okay. But when we read his prayer, he says, "I glorified." You on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So all the type A people, Jesus finished it. He got the work done. He called 12 fishermen, tax collectors, to follow him and say, okay, I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to teach you to obey everything I've commanded you. And you're going to go after you saw me raise the dead, give sight to the blind give legs to the lame. You're going to go and do it two by two. And, and then he said, it's done. I finished the work before he went to the cross. His work was to make disciples. After the resurrection, he said, now you're empowered to go to the entire earth and the world and you can go make disciples as you saw me do it. Because the same spirit that was operating in me is going to operate in you. Here's the four essentials that we have to rely on to get it done. Because we, as Jesus said, take up your cross daily. We have to follow exactly how Jesus led us. Even through suffering, even through challenges, as he endured them. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross because it was our salvation on the other side. So the interesting thing here is we summarize it and there's, you know, some debate is, okay, does God just choose some or does God love everyone and how does that work and, and as i've wrestled with it and all of scripture and all of god's heart the, the bottom line is the good news of the gospel is for all the good news of the gospel is for everyone but it only applies to those who answer the call so paul wrote a whole book on romans we're going to go through starting next week to get that the love and the just compassion but the truth and how that all works out But to summarize it, God wants everyone to know him. And that's why he said, okay, you're all going to all the places and all the peoples so that they might hear the gospel and be saved. And his word was proved true by saving you. We see that. It takes effect in us when he saves us from the consequence of our disobedience, which is death, spiritually being apart from him because of sin. Anything we say, think, or do. I had a quick conversation with a kid at the... The coffee table in between services I'm like hey how's your words are, you, are they helpful or hurtful and right away he's like oh, I'm not gonna plead the fifth I'm not gonna answer that and it's like hey we're gonna give a count on every single word we we give we share is are those words helpful that's scary for me and he's a kid he's like I, I haven't said many hurt words in the last 10 seconds I'm good right that's how short their attention span is like I'm fine like, as I'm talking to him, like, man, Jesus wants to sanctify our, our words. He's positioned us in a way to give us a new heart, a new mind, new desires to say the right thing at the right time, the right way, that people might hear and be saved. That's why Jesus said, the work's done. They're ready to go. Now I'm ready to go home to the Father. Let's get the cross work done, death, burial, resurrection, so that they might be sanctified in the truth that they might go and continue to grow in this relationship with God and others as they go out and make disciples that Greek word go is actually an imperative it's as you go as you're going make disciples it doesn't mean quit your job go to school for six years learn a language and then maybe we'll send you to Afghanistan or Korea or Africa and go make disciples there it means your household It means your your place of employment or as an employer, how are you making disciples? John Piper said missions exist because worship doesn't. People aren't worshiping the God that made them. When you think about it, we worship things, we worship sports, we worship, I mean we're getting into football season and all the the idols of football come out, or you know, it's all of a sudden it's what are we talking about? What are we thinking about? Man, does this have my heart more than God? Am I doing this work on the football field or on the baseball field or on the soccer field? Is this more important to me? Is my identity tied into this? And that's where idols is really a sensitive subject because we're like, we don't have idols. We don't throw bananas to little statues. That's nonsense. We, oh, we're actually the idol. We worship ourselves. We clothe ourselves. We feed our, and we worship ourselves. And, and it's interesting, we think about, well, worship, when we worship God, now He has our time, He has our talents, He has our treasure, we're building His kingdom, not our house. And it's even interesting, as I was thinking about that, in our mindset, when we talk about church, so often the conversation goes, hey, how's, how's it going, Brandon, how's your church? And it's, they always talk about the building, or, or some of the people, and I'm like, well, what do they know about the people? Do they know how loving you are? Do they know the struggles you're, like, we're the church, and we we minister to each other, we serve each other, we bear each other's burdens, we're, we're, we're joyful when people are joyful, and we're sad when people are sad, and we had one of our members beat us home, and he's with Jesus now, stoked, but he left his wife and family, so we're praying for them, and it was amazing to see as I get to serve as, as a chaplain, I'm around a lot of people that aren't believers, but as a pastor, most of my experience is around people that are believers. And so when people die, it's always, sweet, when's the party start? I'm like, yeah, that's, and, and as, as Bob's wife was like, we need to throw a party when I go and we'll celebrate Bob, but I'm so comforted as she's holding back and choking through the tears that he's with Jesus now, like this is amazing. His suffering was short. And just eight weeks ago, his good friend got to see him he was like, yeah, he was on the tennis court. Like, wow, that, he played his heart out and he used every opportunity to share about what God's done in his life. He was worshiping himself. He was worshiping other things until he became a believer and started worshiping God and realized, oh, there's a difference here. Until God saved him from the consequence, now he could go. And it's interesting whenever I bump into to death to think through, man, Jesus was right there. He knew in, in a couple weeks, he knew in a couple of days, he was going to go to the cross and die. And experience that separation from the Father in our place. And so he prays in verse 17, Father, sanctify them by the truth. We spent two weeks going through that, so I'll refresh it in a minute. But he's saying, your, tr- your word is truth. In verse 19, he says, I'm committed to make them holy. In verse 18, he says, I send them into the world in mission. It's interesting when you see verse 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. He's consecrating himself to make us holy. And in the middle of sanctify them in truth, and I want them to be holy in truth, he says, now go into the world. I send them out. As we break down his prayer in the mission statement of, our, of the church, and specifically our church, it's knowing God is salvation. He's the Savior. And then growing is that sanctification. He positions us to grow because we're sealed with his Spirit. So as he grows us from glory to glory, from holiness to holiness, as we mature as believers, it's his work passively, but then it's also our obedience that we surrender and we follow him and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're sanctified. And then he's our healer, removing those barriers or removing ailments that confirm his power to save and to sanctify and to heal us. And then we have the promise that he's coming back for us. And so he's, he's committed to our holiness. And it's interesting when, when you think about how Jesus discipled guys, he, he showed them what to do They watched him and then he said, okay, let's kind of do it a little bit together and now you guys go do it, two of you, go. They didn't have a seminary, they didn't have certificates to say, okay, you went through these eight years, now you can go cast demons out of people. It's kind of rough there, Peter, but I think you'll figure it out. Take John with you. He, He had straight A's. You kind of, you got C's, you got a degree, but good luck. We don't see that in the Bible. He's just like, all right, in my name, you saw me do it, now use my name and go. We have the same power of the Savior to walk in that sanctification. And it's this big word. And hopefully the more I say it, it won't just be osmosis, but you'll get into the word and the Spirit will make it make sense where it's this positional and progressive. We, it's hard in our English language. It's like, wait, am I sanctified when I sit or am I sanctified when I walk? And in the Greek, it's like both. So your language is so weak. But if we were Greek, you know, it's, it's just amazing when you get into the languages, and you see this as you go. We don't really have, we have a couple words to say one word in Greek. You know, it's like, go. Okay, am I I going here? Am I going there? Yes, both. Wherever you go. In Deuteronomy, it's talking about when you sit down, when you rise, when you're at the dinner table, when you're on the sideline of the soccer game, talking about God's word. That's why it's all about holiness. Because Jesus didn't send them with a manual, to plant churches. He didn't send them with a building program. He didn't send them with, here's how to get your spot on KJUG to get people at your church. He didn't say, hey, first thing for church growth, get fancy church t-shirts. <laughs> I know some of you are looking forward to those, they're in the world, okay. But that's not first. First is holiness. And it always, in my, even in my, it's like, okay, how do we help? It's holiness. And it starts with the man. It starts with the men. It's no coincidence that Jesus came and said, Hey, men, you're, you're the provider of your household. You're the protector of your spouse. Stop doing what the culture and the world told you to do and fish for fish. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Like that conversation, I just play that over in my mind. Peter doesn't come home one night, two nights. All of a sudden he comes home. He's like, hey, Jesus told me to follow him. So I'm, I'm no longer fishing. I'm following this rabbi. And his wife's like, cool, so how are we going to eat? Like, where are we going to get food? Like, the the trust that they both had to have, and the communication and the commitment to the Lord to say, okay, we're not going to do what normally we would do, and we're going to follow this guy for however long, wherever he leads, we're surrendering to him. And as we see, Satan came after Eve right away to take Adam out. It's the family unit that Jesus says, I want the man to be holy, the woman to be holy, I want the marriage to be sacred, I want the family to be solid, so that the gospel that saved the family, that grows the family, that healed the family, the family lives confidently no matter what comes against it, because Jesus promised to come back, the returning king. Those four aspects of the gospel is is constantly, when you think about it, what keeps coming up in scripture and Jesus says I want them to be one, I want them to see the glory, I want them to know this fully presently as, and his mind is already in heaven, like he's already processed the cross, resurrection ascension, he's already like oh yes and the, the glory it's going to be awesome in heaven, there's no more pain, no more suffering, it's wonderful they're going to experience this, I want that, he hasn't died yet like this is the prayer that Jesus is so excited for It's so compelling. And it's interesting how maybe some of you are here going, okay, that guy's really excited about heaven and Jesus and the mission. And I'm not bought into this whole Christian thing. I don't even believe Jesus is who he said. I just got invited because someone offered me free breakfast after. So hopefully the sermon's short. But the interesting thing I love to hear about people's perspective and interactions and especially those that don't really believe in Jesus we see that Benjamin Franklin never really bought into the idea that Jesus was who he said he was, but George Whitefield was so compelling and so passionate about Jesus. And he said, I never, Benjamin Franklin said this, I can never quite buy this Christianity thing, but I have tremendous respect for it. I think we ought to have churches everywhere. And he gave a ton of money to Whitefield for his orphanage. See, the, the, the love of God is for everyone, and it impacts everyone in a positive way, even if they don't believe. The guy that's the, the founder of San Diego, I was blown away learning the history. One of the first jobs I had in San Diego as a youth pastor was at the first Baptist church of San Diego. The sober reality is they've moved like seven times because their founding location, the founder of San Diego said the first Protestant church, because like Benjamin Franklin, the church is good for the city. So the first church that gets here gets prime real estate in downtown San Diego free of charge. We're not going to have alleys because that creates crime. And we're going to have a Protestant church because that will help protect against crime. Open invitation. The First Baptist Church got there first because that was in the name. They're very competitive. <laughs> so they won the race. They were the first ones there. But as you know, what happens in cities. Prostitutes, drugs. And so the church retreated the exact opposite of what Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail the gates of hell will not stand my church is gonna go through and bring back those souls the enemy Satan held on to and so unfortunately the church kept moving out and out and out and then now they're up in La Jolla which is pretty bougie and nice if you're ever in San Diego I was always like oh no the church needs to get back down and save those sinners we're on mission The mission essentials. Did we forget Jesus is the Savior? Did we forget He's the one sanctifying? It's not the church's job to sanctify. It's not my job. As hard as it is to try and get us to grow, I can't do it. The elders can't do it. But if we're committed as personal, we saved saints as husbands and wives, then we're going to be committed to disciple our kids. And then we'll have a church who's discipling our kids. And then we'll say, hey, how can I help the youth? Over in the youth section, how can I disciple them? How can I make more disciples because I can't contain the excitement that Jesus is my Savior? I need to help other people understand that. I need to help them grow. Once they know they're saved, they'll grow. And once they're growing, they're going. It's a natural process. And once we go and share, I love hearing the tension of, oh, I need to get this person to come to church, but they have a special needs kid. How do we figure that out as a church? Yeah, we're praying and we're processing. Hey, I have this coworker. Man, they haven't been in a long time. Pray for him to come. I'm sharing this truth about God's love. They got questions about the the credibility of God's word. Let me, you have anything for me in there? Yeah. But we have to first be confident that God has saved us. And as we grow, they look at us and they see that we're changing. We're being sanctified. We're holy. We don't talk like them. We don't act like them. And all of a sudden, they don't know what to do with us. Except, hopefully, Lord willing, ask. And we can introduce them to Jesus as their Savior, as He's our Savior. So, our first point mission essential. So, how are we going to go be disciples, make disciples, humble servants, fully devoted to following Jesus? First, believe that Jesus is the Savior. So He's our Savior positionally. He saves us from the consequence of sin. Anything we say, think, and do against God is sin. And that equals death. And we're saved for life. We don't just get out of, get out of hell-free card like in Monopoly, get out of jail-free card. Which, as a kid, I, I thought about that when I was playing Monopoly. I'm like, oh, that's kind of like salvation. I just believe in Jesus. I'm saved. And I get to just do whatever I want now. No, I read in Romans, and Paul says, knock that off. You can't sin so that grace may abound. You're sin to do good works. You're sin to serve people. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Putting people before my needs? And then before I knew it, I was like helping out in a nursery in a high school, skating to church to get there on time to help out in the nursery with these kids and make Legos before I go to church and listen to sermons that hopefully you guys are better than I was and actually take notes and know. Years later, I'm talking with my wife, and she's like, Oh, yeah, we're in Bible college together. And she's like, Yeah, Pastor Tom went over this. I'm like, Man, I'm really dumb. Or I was just tired from hanging out with kids or something because I missed this whole thing. But I wish I learned it because Jesus is our Savior. And if we sit with that and realize there's no way I can be saved unless God saves me, there's no way He can change me and use me. But when I've been saved, now I want to serve because Jesus said, I came. Not to be served, but to serve. I came to put others' needs before my own. And so he positionally puts us from guilty to free. And now we have the freedom to walk in Christ, love, and serve others as he served us. The assurance of salvation is not based on feelings. Sometimes we don't feel saved. Sometimes we might feel the weight of sin and go, you know what? Jesus, you have to set me free. I am saved. Because the enemy, that's the first thing he wants to get in your head is, no, how are you feeling today? Let's talk about your feelings. No, positionally, I know the fact that Jesus died and set me free. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He's our Savior. Acts 4, 12 says salvation is found in no other, no one else. there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved it's all about jesus in ephesians 2 8 through 10 paul's encouraging the believers hey it's not about your works it's actually by grace you didn't do anything to earn or deserve it god freely gave you this gift by grace through faith you've been saved and this is not of your undoing it's the gift of god it's not the result of works, so no one can boast for his we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which we need to walk in, that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So we're his workmanship, saved and then created in Christ Jesus, placed and being prepared as we're being made holy, which that should, I mean, when you think of your identity and you kind of get depressed, it's like God saved you. He's called you a saint. He's preparing you for the wedding feast of the Lamb. In heaven that Revelation talks about when he comes back we're all gonna have this huge party and celebrate and that's what at communion Jesus said man I've been longing to have this communion with you so you'd see and experience what salvation is and then it's the just the hors d'oeuvres of the sampling of the wedding celebration of the feast together but we have to be ready for that and so the sanctifier we have to be clothed in his righteousness covered by his blood so that our sin is removed and so First, we see him as Savior. Second, we see Jesus as our sanctifier. We've talked about this the last two weeks. But sanctification is the the passive promise of our position. And then it's the the process of him making us holy as he removes sin and the temptation of it. That when we're tempted, we would flee. And we're not drawn into that and given into temptation. Hebrews 10.10 says, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. In First Thessalonians 5.23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May he who began that work see it through and complete it, that Jesus would be the sanctifier. He's the one who saved us. He's the one that sanctifies us and grows us in that deeper relationship with God and others. And Paul goes on and says that Jesus is our wisdom, our righteousness, our redemption in First Corinthians in our role in sanctification, the active part, he mentions in Romans 6:13, which we would strive to obey God and take steps that will increase our sanctification, and do not present our members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present ourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and our members to God as instruments of righteousness. And simple one, Romans 12.1, he goes on and says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So Paul's talking about this power over sin that a Christian has. Where we aren't sinless, we just sin less. We have a desire and an appetite to do the right thing. And when we do do the wrong thing, our heart is broken. And David's a perfect picture where he loved his sin. He loved living in sin until the prophet Nathan's like, hey, let me tell you a little story. And David's like, sweet, I love bedtime stories. This is great. And it turns out he was actually the villain. And David's like, ah, oh, this didn't end like I thought it. Shoot, I'm that man. I'm the one that took Bathsheba's wife and killed him. And now I have, oh, I need to repent. And that's, that's the heart of a true believer is realizing the fear of God, the trust that God is gonna call David to account, but yet God is gracious and forgiving at the same time. And and that's why it's scandalous. Because religion says if you disobey God, there's no hope for you. But a relationship with God says, yeah, you disobey, there's a consequence, but my son took the consequence. I've forgiven you, I've saved you, I've given you the power to not desire that sin anymore and live free. Because he's our savior, because he's growing us in sanctification, empowering us with the spirit, That's why he said go and tell them about me healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, raising people from the grave. There's the power of the spirit of the creator to to fix things emotionally, fix things physically, fix things spiritually. And that's where we see Jesus as our healer. When the psalmist writes in Psalm 30 verse 2, Oh Lord my God, I cried to you for help. And I just kept crying and you never heard me. That's not what he says. But some, somehow that's how we feel. Somehow that's where the church is. And it's not acknowledging, Oh Lord my God, I cried for you to help. And you healed me. Period. You heard me and you healed me. That's the God who's ruling and reigning in heaven. He hears you. And he comes and heals. And we see that Isaiah 53.5 But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace with God and others, and by his wounds we're healed. By his wounds, we have that promise. That this consequence of sin is death, but we have life. And that life, he said, now go and confirm this gospel message of good news with healings as he sent them out. In Matthew 9.35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, he went, as he was going, he was making disciples, as he was going, he was teaching them as Jesus said Matthew 28, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He's teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel. He's not handing out synagogue growth manuals. He's not doing building programs. He's not wearing fancy shirts and saying, this, is, this will help everyone know. He's preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. This is pre-cross, like it always blows my mind that it's pointing to the cross and our job is to point to the cross too as it's been done. He was pointing to the cross, this is about to happen, I'm here now, I'm here now, I'm going to do this work for you, believe in me that you might be saved and we get to point back to it, which how many of us love Monday morning quarterbacks? We love being the Monday morning quarterback. Hey, you blew it, man. You should have done this. You could have done this. Knowing in hindsight, we have that now. It's the Bible. It's right here. We see it. And yet, and yet, when we read this in Matthew 9, it's still kind of foreign. But it's amazing that he, exactly what he was doing, he just says, now, now go do it. It's nothing tricky or new. It's everything you've seen me do, and I want to use you. Because the good news of the gospel is for Everyone. And it only applies to those who answer the call. So we need to get the call out there. We need to get the message out there that all who believe might be saved. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And this is the evidence he gave. And healing every disease and every affliction. Because as the gospel went out, people were like, oh cool, we've heard these kind of similar thoughts before in words. But no one spoke with that authority. No one's healed every disease and every affliction to confirm this. Just before it, he went to go heal Jairus, in that same chapter it was reported that he, this Jairus came and had a 12-year-old daughter who was sick and dying. And there was a woman who was sick and who had been bleeding for 12 years. And and kind of to modernize the story, Jesus got in Jarius's car and they took off and they're going and he's speeding, speeding. And then the gaslight comes on. And it's, it's one of those cars where when the gaslight comes on, you're on fumes. so You don't really know how far you have to go. So he pulls over with Jesus in the car. And maybe, you know, there's three seats in the back. So he has Peter, James, and John, the three disciples with him. And, and so Jesus is like, it's a hot day. I need a Dr. Pepper. So he goes in to, and Jairus is like, all right, make it quick, Jesus. Like my daughter's about to die. Uh, I'm just getting enough gas to get us home. And so he's pumping gas. And all of a sudden he's looking at his watch and it's been 10 He's like, what is going on? Where's Jesus? And, and Jesus was in Circle K again a Dr. Pepper, but this woman bumped into him. And so the Dr. Pepper goes everywhere, and then this she's healed. And now the whole store's like, Who's, what's going on? And Jesus is like, power left me. And they're like, what? And she's like, man, this is amazing. I've been bleeding for 12 years. And no one knew there. It was a personal deal that she had. So he comes out, and Jesus is like, can we hurry up? What's the deal? And Jesus is like, yeah, just... Let me introduce you to this woman. She's been bleeding. Now she's healed. Man, let me, let's talk. And you want me to heal your daughter? That's where we're going. Let's just have this conversation right now. And then everyone in the parking lot guys around. Meanwhile, Jarius has already been pumped gas. He's already in the, he's ready to go. And now he can't. And you feel a little bit of the weight there. It's a little cooler in the Bible times because there was a huge crowd. They didn't have cars. They didn't have, ch- they are walking. And through the crowd, she pushes through, fights her way. And she's been bleeding for 12 years. So that takes a lot of strength. And she reaches out and grabs the hem of his clothes. Just the edge of it. That's all she needed. And the Pharisees had fancy tassels and long hems to seem super religious. And she just believed, man, if I could just barely touch, if I could just get a hold just a little bit, I don't even need to hug him. I don't even need his eye contact. I don't even need him to come. I just need to touch a little bit. And it's amazing because... Jairus came pleading for his daughter, and the woman came with a need of her own. The girl had been healthy for 12 years, and then she ended up passing. The woman had been ill for 12, and, and Jesus stopped and made her whole. And Jairus was in need publicly. Everyone knew it, but the woman had a private need, and Jesus understood her private need and healed her and took the time and said, well, power's gone out. Let's engage with this woman. He could have easily just been like, cool, keep it on the down low. The cross is coming soon. Because every time he healed people, he's like, don't tell anybody. And it was genuine. He's like, my time's not yet. And everyone's like, Jesus healed me. And he's like, oh man, the cross is coming sooner. It's coming. And Jairus probably resented. I mean, there is that tension. We can assume he may have resented the woman because she kept Jesus from getting to his daughter before she passed. It's a real problem but well, the problem was not the woman, but Jarius. He needed faith in Christ. Not that the healing, would, he needed faith in the healer. Because Jesus healed people. He didn't need to be present. But Jarius thought, if I get this guy in the house, then he can help my daughter. But he's not just a healer. He, he can, he's the Savior. He can raise her from the dead. It's amazing when Abraham was told to go sacrifice Isaac, he's like all twisted up about it. And he realized, you know what? God gave me Isaac in a very supernatural way. He could could bring him back. He could do, it's God. Jarius needed that faith. The fact that God has helped others out to encourage us to trust him more, we ought not to be so selfish in our praying that we can't wait on the Lord. Maybe God makes us wait to draw closer to him and to see, look, I'm the savior, not just of you. I'm not just the healer of you, but I want you to depend on me, trust me. And I can In my timing, we don't know what God's up to because God could heal you right now or he could have you wait. We don't know why God's made you wait. It's his timing. It's his way. And even the woman's kind of, she's spent all of her money looking at other places with other people to heal her. and Nothing worked. And it was Jesus. And Jesus didn't say, oh, too bad you didn't have enough faith. You wasted all your money. You could have just come to me he gave her grapes, and he said no you have enough faith to grab a hold of the edge of my cloak and be healed when we were in peru years ago the gospel was going out we had this big it was the first year we did two parts in the town to do this this festival and share the gospel and and work had been done ahead of time to connect with the local churches and the gospel's going out and we had a, a prayer team and, and praying against any demonic intervention or things and the weather's turning and And so there'd be clouds that would come in and if it rained because it rained a lot Then people wouldn't come and hear the gospel. So she was praying the clouds back and I'd never been a part of that Like I grew up non-denominational. We, we only talked about God the Father, God the Son Sometimes you'd have to read about the Spirit, but we don't really talk about Him And so the, that was like super foreign and I was like, this is kind of weird, but God part of the Red Sea, so why wouldn't he part the clouds to get the gospel out? So we're just there and gospel's going out and people are coming forward to prayer and I felt these like globs of things hit me and I thought it was raining but then it didn't really rain and then I'm praying for people and all of a sudden one of those globs hit me in the eye and it started to burn and I realized, oh, this is the oil they're using to like anoint people, but they're just this guy was just running around like spraying it on people and I was like, he's just he's not holding back. Like we're gonna anoint everybody. And apparently my eye, like, maybe something needed to, I don't know, <laughs> maybe remove a speck in there I didn't realize I had. Thanks, buddy. And so I was, like, just praying, like, hey, Lord, I know this. I just pray it's from you. Like, help me understand this. And afterwards, my wife comes up to me, and she's like, yeah, it was crazy. We, this lady came, and her, her daughter was crippled over, and, and she explained kind of through their Spanish and, and different dialect. They are able to understand she had this, this thing in her stomach, and, and it was Hurting her, and she was vomiting, and she was really sick and dying. And so they said, We need prayer. Like, we heard the gospel, we heard Jesus, we need prayer for healing. And so Jenna and this other woman laid their hand on her stomach, and there was something actually moving. It was like, I don't know if it was a demon or a parasite or what it was, but there was something in there that shouldn't have been in there and just crippling this kid. And so they prayed for her. So they go away. And the next night, because it was a two night festival, they come back and the girl's running around and Jenna comes over and is like look there she is we prayed for her last night in Jesus name and Jesus healed her and it was one of those things like Jenna didn't go to the school of healing she didn't know this fancy word she prayed in Jesus name in Jesus name the demons flee in Jesus name whatever that was left restored the girl to health to confirm the power of the gospel. The gospel was proclaimed. The healing came to confirm that God is the healer. And I'm not saying we're going to have healing nights now. That's not, I'm saying we believe in the power of the God who heals. And the fourth, that third part of the gospel is confirming that he's our savior, he's our sanctifier, and we seek the God who can heal. And in his time, he will. And for, to accomplish his purposes. It was amazing just hearing Bob, who, who's with the Lord now, was healed by the Lord. And that's what confirmed the power of the gospel for him to believe and be saved. And when we think about that and those testimonies, it happens today. May our faith continue to grow and increase that God's the God who saves, sanctifies, and then heals and is coming back for us. Because when we preach the gospel and Jesus said the gates of hell are not going to come against the church they're not going to stand he also says in john 17 i pray that you'd keep them from the evil one because the evil one's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for you to devour so when we preach the gospel we know the enemy is going to try and take us out he's going to try and distract us discourage us and disunify us that's why jesus's prayer is like man we're one we're tight father son holy spirit and the enemy's going to try and take the spirit out he's going to try and discourage you from the power of my name He's going to try and make you feel like because you sinned once, you're this worst sinner that you've ever sinned before. No, Jesus saved you. And he's sanctifying you. Let him do the work. You can't do the work to save you. You can't do the work to purify you or make you holy. Holify you. That's the word I just made up. He, you can't do that. You can't make up words. It doesn't work. And the beauty of the gospel to go out and build his kingdom. He said, look, the gospel of the kingdom is going to go, be proclaimed. Matthew 24, 14, throughout the whole world is a testimony to every single nation, and then the end will come. So if you're a mathematician, statistician, the numbers are staggeringly low. And they're in the teens, the last time I checked, of of the dialects that need the gospel in their language. And there's always those numbers where if we did this, and move money here, and we translated this, like in in 20 years, we could get the gospel in every dialect. 15 years. That's, that's so short. The gospel being preached in every nation and then the end will come. And we're excited. If you've read Revelation nineteen sixteen, if I got had enough money and was okay getting this much ink done, but the picture of Jesus coming out of the sky in Revelation 19, verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a tattoo. It's written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the swords come out of his mouth and... As a young dad, I didn't realize that image actually is not comforting to young kids when you're putting them to bed at nine o'clock, getting through, there's a dragon trying to devour a baby and Jesus comes out with a sword in his mouth and they're like, ah! And Jenna's like, what are you doing? I'm like, it's the Bible, it's good. Bible story, right? Before bed, it's encouraging. I think it's cool. And they're like, mom, get dad out of here. He's freaking me out. Like, yeah, maybe I'm not called to be a children's pastor. Let's find someone else to do that. I'll talk to the adults, make sure the parents are good, they can disciple the kids, and we'll, we'll, okay, there's a body. It says here, we're all body, we have different parts. Clearly that's not my part, okay? It's so encouraging when we're supposed to preach the gospel and we do spiritual battle to know Jesus is powerful and he's promised to come back and get us. In Matthew 24, 30, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory they're going to mourn because they've rejected him they're going to mourn because the saints have been sanctified and they're holy and they've shared the gospel and they've served people and they've they've prayed for the flourishing of the city and they've been there serving one another and they rejected persecuted and killed them or they get taken up and now they see oh now i have to answer to him and that's what should be compelling us to share the gospel. That's what we need to bless our neighbor, bless our spouse, bless our kids. Begin in prayer. The bless is an acronym as well as a, a cool word that, that Jesus uses often. It's starting with B is begin in prayer. L is listen. The E is eat. Look for a meal the S is, is serve them or, or look for an opportunity for them to serve you which for some of you is really hard and I think I model that well I called my father-in-law I was like hey this whole angle like bird's beak thing with a shed you're really good at that can you come help me? And he's like yeah I'm over there I'm helping but as I talk to some guys apparently they don't like to ask for help they don't like to borrow stuff I'm always like hey can I borrow this can you help me with this it's cool you get, you get to and that, that's actually part of sharing the gospel I'm like sweet The gift of evangelism. I don't even know how I'm doing it, but I'm doing it. Ask for help. Or ask to help somebody. And then in that process, you get to share the gospel. That's the last part. So begin in prayer. Listen to them. Listen for where they're at. You can pick up on stuff. The Holy Spirit will say, hey, they don't know. They're they're looking for healing, but man, alcohol is their their crutch. or They're looking for hope, but they just can't seem to surrender. They're trying to control it themselves. How's their marriage? How's their kids? How's their finance? They're going to talk. People, if you listen, you'll hear stuff. Then look for a meal to engage and connect with them and then look for an opportunity for them to serve you or you to serve them and then share the gospel. Who's that one person you need to bless this week? Who's maybe three people? Write, it, write them down and start praying about it. In between services, I had a couple names and sent a couple texts. So I'm going to do it right now if you're like me, it'll be Wednesday and you're like, oh, that Sherman. Wasn't I supposed to do something with someone? Ah, I should probably do that. And then who knows if it happens or not. So just get it done right now. The amazing thing, when we gather to celebrate that Jesus is a Savior, is our sanctifier, He's our healer and coming King. just want to encourage you as we go and make disciples, Looking for those who are hurting and need help and need hope. To point them to Jesus. That's what he did. He pointed them to himself. He sent his disciples to point them to him. He did the work on the cross, rose from the grave, and said, now you go and make disciples. And all, it's right here. There's no manual. There's no school. It's right here. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you how to share this. Simply, the good news of the gospel is for everybody. So we have to make sure everyone gets to hear it. Because they're going to hear it and see it one way or the other. Either it's you or it's Jesus coming on the clouds. And for us, that's a comfort because we'll meet him in the clouds. For them, it's going to be terrifying. So let's, they might reject Jesus when you share the message. But let's give them the chance to reject him that way instead of in the clouds. And the exciting mission is making disciples. Jesus said, I'm with you. And so people are going to come and say, hey, thank you for helping me. And it was amazing. I was hearing a story about a pastor who, 10 years ago, a couple walked in his church. And they were saying, okay, this is our last chance. Our marriage is about to be over. We, we're going to give it one more go. I met with the pastor. Three years later, they walk up to their life group pastor and say, hey, I, I feel like God's called me to plant a church. And so three years into that, saying, okay, let's have you lead a life group for a couple years Okay, that, confir- that confirms the calling. Go an hour away in that city, start a small group, start a life group, and as that grew, in a year's time, they had 400 people in their church. In five years, they went from a marriage that was crumbling—I don't even know who God is—to saved, sanctified, healed the marriage, and then they were building God's kingdom having conversations, having real conversations, sharing things that Jesus needs to be your savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king so we could be about his kingdom business, building his kingdom. So as the guys come forward to pass the communion, I want to give you a minute after I pray and then I'll come back and and close. Lord, we, as we close in prayer, the need for us to be saved, the need for our sin to be removed and forgiven, covered, picked up, and carried away. Lord, we pray that those that have yet to trust in you, as they hear about the mission, the essentials that we have to hold on to and to share with the world, so we would serve them, knowing that they're going to reject you, the one we're proclaiming, the one we're serving in your power, in your name. They're not going to get it, and they're going to run away as the light shines in the darkness. We know that. But Lord, that we would like Paul, have a heavy and burdened heart for them and be loving and compassionate even though they reject you as you modeled Jesus. When you came to a world that wanted nothing to do with you and crucified you, that showed this is what it looks like to follow you, to take up your cross daily and serve and proclaim that the God who made them loves them and has a better way and has a purpose for them and a plan for their life And that good news of the gospel is for everyone, but only applies to those who answer that call. We thank you for those here that have and that are committed to making disciples in their homes and with their families and and in the youth and kids ministry of the church, helping support, pray, and equip families as we go and build your kingdom. As disciples who are humble servants, fully devoted to following you, fully surrendered as you are our savior, you're growing us to look think and act like Jesus and we thank you for that confirmation as you're our healer and coming king that we can fully depend and trust on you as we go out and make disciples who will make disciples in Jesus name amen